You are listening to the Maastricht Diplomat. In today's episode, Victoria and I will be discussing how Hollywood contributes to the fear-mongering propaganda against an already marginalized group. This harmful stereotyping has for decades been perpetuated in cinema and pop culture. It is for this reason that we will shed light on the harmful practice against an innocent group which has been unfairly maligned in various types of media. Sharks. Human interaction with sharks, mostly sharks biting humans, are among the most widely reported human wildlife conflicts, albeit their statistical rarity with less than 10 human fatalities annually. The media coverage of such events is oftentimes exaggerated as a result of a phenomenon referred to as the Jaws effect, which brings us to a first talking point, the influence of the representation of sharks in the media. But before we do so, let us formally introduce ourselves. My name is Jane Hilgard, a third year European law student, and I'm currently focusing my Bachelor of Law thesis on the protection of marine biodiversity. And I'm joined by my fellow ELS third year Victoria Alexander, whose favorite animals are sharks. Hi. We're going to start by talking about the fact that sharks definitely need to get a new PR manager. Okay, so we're using Jaws as the most prominent first example here because since its release in 1975, we really started to see a steadfast increase in both the attention of the public as well as the general attitude towards sharks in a more negative manner. This has been dubbed the Jaws effect by Christopher Neff, which is effectively this perception that the public has of sharks as these craven, man-eating predators who intentionally bite humans, and it always leads to fatal outcomes and that sharks should be culled in order to stop the threat of further interactions. Sharks! They need a new PR manager. They really do. And you know why they do? Because there was a study now last year of 109 sharks films since the release of Jaws, and they showed that every single movie besides two portrayed them negatively, which the one that's kind of on the verge is Finding Nemo, because yes, they have the Alcoholics Anonymous for not eating fish group. Fish are friends, not food. Exactly. But when Dory nicks herself and there's the blood, you know, it once again reiterates this whole feeding frenzy. There's blood and now the the shark instinct takes over. The only positive representation sharks have in the media is in finding Dory, the whale shark, which in particular is an herbivore. Of course, they don't have that rep. They don't hurt anyone. So technically speaking, there is no actual positive representation of sharks in film. My favorite animals are sharks. They always have been. And whenever I was a kid, I was obsessed with sharks. Obsession doesn't even begin to cover it. I would always be told like, Victoria, how haven't you seen Jaws? Sharks are your favorite animals. And it's like, well, maybe those two things are correlated here. <laughs> like, they're literally the antagonist exactly. in that movie. I don't... Why do I want to sit there for two hours and watch people get murdered by a shark whenever I feel bad for the shark? <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this. In Australia, a couple of years ago, there was this news report. A woman got bitten by a shark as she got carried out of the water. She was screaming like, it's not the shark's fault. Yes. They're not, you know, they're not evil. It's just, because they're like dogs. They see something. They're like, this could be food. They bite it. It's like a toddler that sticks everything in its mouth. This is also why most of the shark human incidents, it's a, it's a bite. It's a nip. Of course, if a great white bites you, you know, you lose an arm or a leg. But it's not... This malicious intent that people make it out to be. They're not murder machines. They're just... For them, it's a nibble. Exactly. They're giant sea puppies that are just like, is this food? No, it's not. Never mind. Exactly. But on that, I have like a really strange um, confession. (laughs) Whenever I was a kid, I grew up coastally and sharks were my favorite animals. 
And so because I grew up coastally, of course, we had to learn about water safety and part of that was shark safety. But I always had this very secret desire that I, I would have, that a shark would bite me. <laughs> And I would always watch Shark Week and all of the TV shows about sharks biting people. And I'm like, that's a cool ass scar. Like, I want a scar I, like that. I literally, I, for the longest time, I'm like, okay, if I want to die, I want to do it in a cool way. Yes. I want to be eaten by a shark. But then I'm like, we can't do that because then that's just going to further the propaganda against sharks being evil. So I haven't found a new way yet. But do you yeah. have a suggestion that's not hurtful to sharks? I could do? Do what the lady did and just yell, it's not the shark's fault. It's not... <laughs> Dying on the stretcher, it's not the shark's fault. <laughs> no, literally, because it's not their fault. It's not. We're invading their space. That actually makes me think of Shark Week mm. because we all love Shark Week, right? Like we grew up on it. But we're I, not American. I, I, no, but you you do I guess whatever I said all I, I was mostly talking okay, so if you No, I, I'm aware of the call. Like, I know oh, Shark Week. I thought Week. that you okay, I thought that you I, like, I'm aware watched of it. it. Okay. I ha I have, mm -hmm. but like Okay, sure. It wasn't as quintessential yeah. to my growing up right. as it was for you. Okay. Okay, sharks. So for anybody who doesn't know what Shark Week is, it's this week on Discovery Channel that they dedicate to 24-7 coverage of just TV shows about sharks. The rationale behind it is that it's supposed to raise awareness about shark conservation. The issue is that the majority of shows that take the primetime spot on TV during Shark Week are shows about shark attacks or, mm. or, or things like that. And most of the hosts are not conservationists, but celebrities who have no idea they're just there for the clout, effectively. So I think that because we have this perception bolstered by Shark Week, which is ostensibly supposed to be geared towards valuing sharks and celebrating them, it actually ends up doing the exact opposite. So I definitely think that it has an impact and that impact is bad. Okay, so in 2003, they released the movie Open Waters. It's about a couple that disappeared and they were never actually found and the husband in the movie is portrayed to be bitten and then die of bloodlust and the wife decides to let his buddy go and be eaten by the sharks to save herself but ultimately she then also succumbs because she can't go anywhere they're in the middle of the ocean and it's very loosely based on true events because there is this actual couple that just completely disappeared no one actually knows what happened to them but because you know the story can claim to be based on real events how much more of an impact does it have on the perception of sharks? Because you know, if it's something that's it's based on true events, then you're like, okay, so this is what actually happened. No, I definitely think that that has a bigger impact because since people think that it's true, then they think that if this happened, then this is an accurate representation, not only of what happened in that particular instance, but also of how sharks behave. At the end, where we talk about misconceptions of sharks, where we will see that that is not particularly the case. We, outside of the podcast, already talked about The Shallows from 2016, which was a huge box office success. And then this year, The Requin, starring Alicia Silverstone from Clueless, was released, and it's also, once again, The White Woman versus The Great White Shark. What I noticed during research is that there seems to be this trend of the white woman versus the great white shark of kind of it's a survival success story that to me feels like a very niche and weird aspect of the white savior complex of just like, you know, and then the white people, they will prevail against this beast of nature. I was wondering, maybe this is also because I'm not white. What is the appeal behind this? I don't know. Mm, valid. I've never seen these movies. As I don't think anyone should. I mean, I'm sorry, Blake. I loved your dress, but I, I didn't like your movie. At least there's now currently a decline because The Shallows was this huge success. And then The Requiem that came out this year was in a like, complete box office fail. But this like constant same storyline of, oh, you get stranded in the middle of the ocean. There's a great white shark around that's going to murder you. Isn't that just tired Hollywood writing? Yes. 
Like, it is. Come up with something new. But this is why Jurassic is so good, right? Jurassic Park. Mm. Because the dinosaurs are already extinct. You're not doing any damage to them, but you still have these kinds of like themes where it's, you know, the suspense of the hunt or the close-up of the white woman screaming. You get all of these classic Hollywood like things, but then you don't have the demonization of an entire species, which is actually essential to its ecosystem that we have with all of these tired, boring shark movies. We focus a lot currently on the representation of sharks in film media, and it's a lot fictionalized, but what I would also like to address is because, yes, we have beef with Hollywood, but we also have beef with mainstream media, over-exaggerated, but over-reported shark-human interactions are, in newspapers because even though they're comparatively rare and mostly non-fatal, every time there's an incident with a shark, it's on the front page and it's always talked about and oh, and you know, sharks and it's not safe, they're in our waters, which we're in their waters, always sensationalizing issues that are man-made. I remember this one summer, um, there was this boy that had been bitten by a shark. It was whenever I was a kid, he was about my age. The entire summer, every time we would go to the beach or anything, all anybody would talk about would be, well, did you hear about that boy? They still haven't caught that shark. And I would just be like, okay, but do they need to catch the shark? Because I knew as a kid, they don't necessarily just prowl for human prey, you know? Because I've been out in those water and I've, I've been surfing in those waters since I was a kid and I've been out there swimming in those waters since I was a kid. And I have had up close encounters with sharks, but I've always been fine. We do have this huge idea that if you encounter one, they're going to bite you. You can't be anywhere near one or they will bite you. That's just not how it is. And I think that it preys on this like primal fear that humans have because water is a more foreign experience, I guess, to us that, you know, we can't see as well. We can't breathe. We can't stay down there for long periods of time. We're just not equipped to be under there. So because there's so much unknown in there and it's so big and it's so vast, it's just easy for people to lean into that primal natural fear. But we do need to keep in mind that we do riskier behaviors every single day of our lives. Yeah, I did some research on this to compare the numbers of, for example, cows kill an average of 22 humans in the US alone every year. Hippos, which I thought was insane, but 500 people are murdered by a hippo in Africa. And no one talks about it, really. They can swim so fast, they're really strong, but no, sharks are evil. The amount of people that are sick that will die because of mosquitoes is in the hundreds of millions. Vector-borne diseases are so much more of an actual threat to humanity than some shark somewhere randomly in the water whose space you're invading. Yeah, exactly. And I do have a theory on this. It's the fact that malaria overly affects the global south. Western world thinks more about potentially getting bitten by a shark then because for dengue fever alone, kids under five are the largest group affected, but they're not white kids. They're not in Europe. They're not in the US. They're not in Australia. Therefore, we're gonna put all of this media attention that could so well be utilized but instead we're like, well, but you know, that's not a white people problem. So let's talk about sharks and make them look bad, irrespective of how much better we could be doing with it. No, I actually like completely agree with that, especially because not only do we have like other animals in the world that are a lot more dangerous, but also man-made dangers. No, but like if you're just in, in the ocean and there's like a shark, that shark will, you know, swim on by, like it'll just doop doop doop, you know what I mean? But an alligator, if you, if you go in front of an alligator, it will run at you. And those fuckers are fast. Okay, but consider this, right? The ocean is so much bigger than the river that. But if you don't in. see the alligator and you just walk in front of it, you're fucked. Well, get glasses then, my guy. 
But they're good at camouflage. <laughs> sounds like a, this, you know what this sounds like to me? A mental breakdown? A big ol' you problem. <laughs> Octopi also scares me. They're so small. Oh, they're so small. You know, there's a study. There was a study that was released 2020. It's my favorite study. It's my favorite marine biology study ever. Octopus will punch. I know, have, I saw that. They will punch fish purely out of spite. Just because they're dicks. No, I love them. I love them in concept. I'm so glad that they exist. But and they're so smart. But I don't want them to touch me. No, but in seriousness, obviously, I don't think that it's useful to blame other animals for behaving as they do in their natural context. I have a natural human and healthy fear of some of these animals. But at the end of the day, they are still important for their ecosystems. I think it's interesting that, okay, so there's a lot of the general public perception of sharks is a lot more negative because of the portrayal in the media, because of the over-reporting, but it actually has little to no impact slash little to no impact has been found on actual marine policies. It's a very novel field. Most of the studies have been written up literally within the past year and a half on this. I would have assumed because of how the general public is so, so scared about sharks and it's such a big concern that it would have a larger impact. Obviously there's like lethal monitoring where they kill the sharks that have bitten someone, but it's a lot less impactful on actually the legislative than I would have assumed it to be. If we look into international law for this, within the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, there is a particular article pertaining to a high protection for marine mammals, which obviously doesn't include sharks because they're not mammals, but there's also currently being drafted up an internationally legally binding instrument beyond national jurisdictions outside of economic exclusive zones, specifically pertaining to sustainable use and conservation. So there is the chance that sharks will be entitled to maybe not the same, but more rights when it comes to their protection. Well, I think that the issue with that, while it's a good step, it's still probably not something that I would expect would have a great deal of real impact for protecting sharks for a lot of reasons. The first one that comes to mind is people don't understand the international legal system. You know what I mean? Even those of us who study it, who love it, who are passionate about it, sometimes... I look at it and I just want to pull my hair out because it's so crazy. And I think that if we are relying on, you know, some vague international instrument that conflicts with national jurisdictions, whenever we get down to the level of the individual, like, fishermen on a boat who are going to be the ones, you know, shark finning or catching sharks in their nets, something like that, they're not necessarily going to be entirely clear on how they need to act in order to not infringe on the rights of sharks. They may not know that sharks have these rights. They may not know that these protections are in place just because of the way that the international system is is set up. And I don't have a solution to that because I don't think we can rely on national jurisdictions either. I just think that we need more clarity. We need a better we need a better system. For me personally, I don't have a lot of hope on the, you know, legal regulatory protection side of things. But maybe I'm just being cynical. Actually, for the BBNJ, I'm very hopeful as to what it will do because it's been developing for four or five years now. And the Ocean Conference that's in Portugal at the end of June, that's, I think, when they're going to finalize it. One of the good aspects of the big antagonizing role of sharks that this was formerly super uncommercialized field research scientists everything about sharks is now so much more in focus because now there's interest in the field obviously still the general public isn't 
as aware as we would want them to be because there's also a very high, high risk perception of sharks that is completely unwarranted as we already talked about. But there is now a lot more funding and research that pertains to them and there's a lot more interest in conservation of sharks as we for example saw with the EU citizen initiative on ending shark finning within the EU. And whilst we're on the topic of shark finning within the European Union, there is an article up on the Maastricht Diplomats website written by Andrew Kapuk. So if anyone's interested in that particular topic, go ahead and check that out. Yeah, well, I, I definitely agree with you about the idea that there's more interest in conservation from the public because the attention that they've garnered in, in the media and Hollywood. But I think that going back to what I said a minute ago about the kind of way that the system is structured for actually affording decent protection. Frankly, the international system doesn't afford, in my opinion, decent enough protections to humans. And so even if we have a great deal of support for protecting sharks and banning shark finning and changing fishermen's practices so that we don't have the bycatch, etc., 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 that doesn't necessarily ensure that the international system is going to move fast enough to actually prevent the kind of damage that can be incurred by continued practice of this sort, but also that anything that the international system is able to implement is actually going to be effective. And again, I don't have a solution to this. I mean, I'm writing my thesis criticizing international law. I love international law. I truly believe in what it can be. But as much as I love to see that we have this societal trend where people are a little bit more aware and maybe don't want to consume shark products, etc., etc., that is encouraging, but I still feel a little bit more cynical whenever we're trying to talk about the regulations that we desperately need and their efficacy. Yeah, I think I would agree, especially when it comes to, like in the European Union alone, if you look at the IUU fisheries, there's so much work that needs to be done irrespective of just the shark by crashing and the lethal monitoring aspect, it's going to be very hard to implement. And I think the issue with that as well is that international law is still very much in its baby steps. Absolutely. Like, you know, I think there's this big misconception of, oh, and we have these UN treaties and there's this international law system that exists, but how effective it is, because most of it hasn't actually been developed yet. Exactly. Which I think we as law students now understand. But before that, I was like, oh, but you know, you have the UN clause, you have this treaty, you have the UN biodiversity conversation, everything's chill. It's sorted out. And now that I study law and I want to focus on ocean governance, I'm like, actually, yeah, absolutely. Nothing's happening. Exactly. In my thesis, I'm not just talking about the content or the substance of, you know, rights and obligations, but also just the very way that the system functions. Because you're right, it absolutely still is in its infancy and we can see that. But I, I think that it's for this reason important to talk openly about this and say, okay, we have this objective that the law wants to achieve. We have the way that the law actually works. Let's see how they fit together. Oh, they don't. Okay, let's fix it. Let's point it out. Let's draw attention to it. And then let's work together as an international community to see what we can do on the structural level, not even on the substantive, to try and actually achieve the substance. Something that also came to mind as we're talking about this is that if you look at the initiatives that revolve around whales, for example, with Greenland, when it was a massive outrage that they murdered a hundred or something whales and everyone's like, we need to end this right now how dare they do this you can't touch or with japan it's a huge huge internationally acknowledged issue that they still kill dolphins and whales but when it comes to sharks no one cares and i do think a lot of that leads back to what we originally were talking about that the whales are the friendly giants and the sharks are the mean evil murder machines 
mostly focus on the great whites, even though white and black top reef sharks, they're tiny. They're more scared of humans than humans are of them. Yeah. Or the nurse sharks in the Bahamas can't do anything. Most of the media always uses the great white sharks. You know, it's the biggest, it's the most villainous, whatever. But there's so many other shark species that aren't talked about that are also basically incapable of hurting a human because i grew up you know around the ocean i've seen like white and black top reef sharks my entire life growing up being afraid of sharks is not something that came inherent to me it was something that other people were like but why aren't you scared of the ocean why aren't you scared of sharks i'm like i mean he's minding his own business yes especially for snorkeling and diving Mm -hmm. for as long as you respect the distance to these animals yes nothing is gonna happen to you absolutely and it's something where i feel like so many people try to push you into being afraid of it just because they don't understand. And then I think the more you actually learn about, I would also argue this is why we, you know, care so much about it, because the more you learn about sharks, and also if you consider how important they are for eco, they're an apex predator, they're a keystone species. Without sharks to regulate the entire ecosystem, all of it collapses. Absolutely. They're so vital. Okay, so let's talk about some common assumptions that people have about sharks. Um, spoiler alert, absolutely none of them are true. And I bet that a lot of people listening are probably going to be surprised to find out some of these things. First of all, we have this idea that a shark can smell a drop of blood a mile away. Did you grow up thinking about this or hearing this? No, but I think for me, it wasn't as much just a drop of blood. It was also this idea of if you're on your period, yes, the shark's going to come and find you and then you're dead. Yeah, no, I had the same one. It is true that sharks have an incredible sense of smell, and this actually leads into a second misconception, but it's not one drop of blood in a gigantic area. It's more like an Olympic-sized pool, which is still really impressive. But then the second misconception that we can talk about is what happens when the shark smells that blood. We have this idea that not only can a shark smell one drop of blood in like the entire ocean, but also that once they do, they go into this feeding frenzy. They go into a rage where they like, no thoughts, just blood. I actually read this study where they introduced blood in the water to various different sharks and It was different types of blood. It was cow's blood and it was human's blood. And most of the time, the sharks actually didn't... They smelled the blood, obviously, but they didn't actually circle around to the actual, like, chum that they put in the water until, like, 45 minutes later. They were taking their dear sweet time. It wasn't a feeding frenzy. It wasn't uncontrollable. Alongside that is the frequency of it, like with everything else we talked about, is continuously overstated. What I picture when I think of this is, yes... Finding Nemo is one of my favorite films, is when Dory has this nick of blood and Bruce immediately forgets everything he talks about and is like, I need to eat you. Chum and Ank, the other two sharks, if you don't know them by name, shame on you. Hold him back, which obviously doesn't happen in real life. It was, for me, very much this image of there's this tiny drop of blood and immediately a feeding frenzy starts. Unless that is quenched, it's like the shark is going to be uncontrollable. Yeah until they've satisfied their hunger, when that's not really the case. Also, the involvement of humans in feeding frenzies is not well understood. So humans have come into contact with sharks during feeding frenzies, and I don't like the term feeding frenzy because, again, it says that it's a frenzy when it's not. For example, sharks are attracted to fishing boats. What sharks are attracted to are not the smells of blood, it is the chemical scent of the pheromones, the stress pheromones that the fish are putting out by thrashing around a lot out of stress. It's these stress signals that they're drawn to. For example, there's a shipwreck. Again, flailing humans, a lot of stress hormones. Sharks do congregate in those areas, but then they just behave as predators. It's not anything frenzied about that. 
we've already brought this up throughout this entire podcast, but obviously the actual risk that sharks pose to humans is so much significantly smaller than we all think. To me, it's kind of like, you know, as a kid, when you were watching comics and you thought quicksand was going to be the biggest issue of your life. Absolutely. And it just doesn't happen. To me, that's pretty much the same when it comes to sharks, because it has been so continuously overstated and perpetuated, which is also why we're doing this podcast in the first place. But obviously sharks are a much smaller threat to you than basically anything you do in your daily life. For this misconception about sharks being dangerous to humans, I mean, it is something that we've covered a lot here, but let's make it really explicit because you're exactly right. There are other things in our daily lives more dangerous, but also just to dispel the idea of sharks as dangerous because you kind of referenced this before about how a, sh a shark will come up and give you a little nibble because it's trying to figure out what you are and if you are tasty. And to a shark, you're not tasty. I mean, that's disastrous for you as a human, but for the shark, like, we have to keep that in mind. So all in all, the main message of this is sharks need better PR. Sharks need lawyers too. We need to understand that sharks aren't this giant risk to humans and that they really are a very important part of the ecosystem in which they live. If you have been scared of sharks before, then you've just fallen victim to Hollywood propaganda. This podcast was written and hosted by Jane and Victoria. The music was created by Stone Ocean and the executive producer was Rue. Please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music. You are listening to The Maastricht Diplomat.